you are numb to all this. To us, this is abusive. It's a different world. So I want to take you into abuse on another dimension that in their world, they don't relate to it. I said abuse is in the, in the uh, development, in sexual development, it interrupts and affects the sexual development. The second thing abuse does is it challenges a child about their own sexuality. I'm going to talk about a boy. And this is what it does. Let me say it this way. This is what it often or can do to boys. I don't have the statistics, but this is what we see so often. And it's unbelievably abusive. Again, by then it wouldn't exist. When a boy, typically, his on fang of his abuse is pre-puberty. Let's do it very quickly. Normal human sexual development presumes that a boy doesn't really have sexual feelings till his, his puberty. At puberty, he develops tivus nashim, and at the same time, the Rebbe protected a man by giving him a nauseous reaction to tivus anashim. Those things come at the same time. You don't have one or the other. They, it's a package deal. He's, he doesn't just get tiva. He has tivus nashim and a disgust, ugh, feeling towards tivus Anoshim. That's what happens to a boy by puberty. Listen to the abuse of what happens to this pocket. And this is even more abusive than all the other things I've said so far. When a boy gets abused pre-puberty, when he finally hits puberty and develops taiva, instead of when when the abuse was done to him by an older boy pre-puberty, it changes his program. It changes his program. And this boy will no longer develop a nauseous disgust to male sexuality. He will have generic taiva when he hits puberty. He'll have both. That's the abuse. There is, by the way, in my experience working with kids, nothing more abusive. This is the end of his life. This kid, who this has happened to, feels like his life is over. If you ever wonder about the off-the-derrick kids and their anger and their drugs and their rage, it's this, if it's anything. Because what they now struggle with is that the nauseous reaction to male sexuality was taken from them by that touching them pre-puberty, by another man, a male touching them pre-puberty. They don't develop it. They may develop a little starker. They do have a starker natia towards female, typhus nausea, but they do not develop a nauseous reaction to male sexuality. At best, is parv. They may not get turned on, but they definitely are not turned off, which means if an invitation offers itself, they are completely ready to engage. It doesn't turn them off. This is abuse of the highest highest degree. There is no abuse greater to a poor kid to whom this has happened. Kids sit in my office wrecked with pain when I talk this through with them, what's happened to them, and they yell at me things like, I want it back. Can you give it back to me? And you can't. There's no way just to reprogram a kid and give it back. It's now part of his journey. It's part of his Nisoyan through life. You cannot reprogram. There's no way. There's one shita someone told me that I haven't tried. There's no way to try to give tremendous. If you get them pre puberty, uh, pre when they finished the process of puberty before 18, if you give them mega doses of testosterone, 
you give them, inject them with mega dose of testosterone. There's one theory, I did a lot of research on this to try and see if there's a way. <laughs> I'm going to have to find a doctor who agrees with me. The AMA will kill me. They'll kill me because they're happy with homosexuals. Nothing wrong with them. That's not a disorder by them. So we're tweaking something. It would be an illegal usage of medication. But these kids sit there crying on the... T- I want it back. How do I get it back? And, and there's no simple answer how to get it back. It's actually part of their life story and destiny. They've got to work out how to go through life without a natural natia against male sexuality. That's abuse of the highest order, in my opinion. That's a whole life. There's a life ruined. It's a struggle, a unique struggle of life, a challenge that takes everything out of me to help a child, hold a child through those years and help them get married. Take a child like this, the resilient one. Take a, resili- a so-called resilient one who now goes into a base madrush. No, different thing. No, definitely not. Definitely not. There's a similar, but not the same. I'm going to come to that in a minute. Um, guy goes into base madrush and discovers he's sitting in base madrush and realizes that he has sexual attraction to a boy who's sitting in another row in front of him or around him and it drives him completely sugar to the point where to some degree the poor kid concludes he's homosexual especially if he doesn't really have access to girls anywhere so there's no way of really testing out he has, no, he has never close up to girls really anywhere so this poor boy the abuse it's so unimaginable and it so explains their pain, anger, reactiveness, the horror of their lives. They're angry. They're so angry. That's, by the way, these facial, you know, all these piercings and tattoos, it's all an expression of their anger. They're so angry. You know, they want to, they want to get back at everyone. They want to make everyone uncomfortable, actually. This has been said to me by many kids. We're uncomfortable, you've got to be uncomfortable. Yeah, this is when another boy abused him. Yeah. What, what can, I didn't say will, but what can and often does happen is it takes from the boy the natural development of male sexuality. This is one of my, again, I don't think you'll hear this anywhere else because I'm not sure anyone else realizes this. I'm just being very frank. But it's profound, and it's part of that abuse. It's one, it's one of the many compelling reasons why I'm so passionate about doing something about this problem, because it's just so destructive on so many different levels. Boys, as I said, are more likely the associations with fear and violence, the threat. The girls are more likely to be non-violent touch. The boy's pleasuring himself. She's officially asleep. They usually don't hold them down. They pretend to be asleep. So there's no violence involved. I know girls who will go years of pretending to be asleep and just have the boy play with them, manipulate them, sleep with them. And they pretend to be asleep the whole way through it. So it's not the same association. What's the reaction of the kids? So typically, there's two possible reactions. One is the internalizing and the other is the externalizing. The internalizing of the kids whose reactions are classically depression. You'll see depression. 
it includes a morose attitude, disconnecting from parents, rivers, and teachers, isolating behavior. You see kids who suddenly, and I have a list we're going to do later on of specific behavioral indicators and general indicators, just a list that I think is Kadai for them to have, not to diagnose from, please, like, you know, be very, very careful, but just to get a feel of the sugya. But nevertheless, the internalizers, you notice immediately changes in them, where the kids suddenly become very depressed, very isolating, separate. One of the interesting things with kids like that is they withdraw from contact. I had a kid, I remember in my first year in practice, I didn't have any clue what I was doing. I was winging it as best I could. I used to work, I lived those days two blocks from the Lake Udkheda. And uh, a lot of the Cheda kids were sent to me in my early uh, part of my career. And the kids would come. They actually thought it was prestigious coming to me. It was a very strange thing. You know, when I walked into the Cheda, they were all, like, running to see me. They were, like, you know, they once told me because my bushes were, like, very nice on my front lawn. So they felt uh, that I must be very rich. So it was, like, prestigious to see me because my bushes... I'm not kidding. That's what they told me. I had these manicured bushes. They weren't so manicured. They were just bushes. I felt it's like... You know, if you have bushes, you should make them nice. You live amongst the guy, you know, that, whatever. Hey, one day a kid comes in, and typically, if I had a session with a kid, at the end, I might, like, pat the kid on the back, on his shoulders. Just pat him on the back, saying, you know, you did well today, we'll see you next week. A little pat on the shoulder. Nothing more than that. I would do such a thing. And it, and it was fine. No, one day a kid comes in, I'm working, he's hardly talks, very morose, very withdrawn, barely says a word. And as he leaves the office, I go to give him a pat on the back, and he goes like this, to avoid my hit, you know, my touch on his, like a pat. He avoids me and ran out up the steps away from my office, and next week he didn't show. I had no idea what it was. I called the parents, yeah, no, he didn't want to come, he's upset, he doesn't like therapy, but I didn't... Later on, I found exactly what it was. The, it was the kid had been an abuse victim. He is never going to let anyone touch him. I have many rebellion who talk to me, they call me up about a kid they're working with. They say, I don't understand. This kid, I, I get, I try to talk to him, he's always backing away from me. I can't even talk to him. Like, I don't think, I want to talk quietly to him. I want to tell him, you know, uh, respectfully, I got to yell. And then everyone else hears, because every time I walk close to him, he walks away from me. Like, what is that? What's the matter with this kid? It's an abuse victim. The, the internalizers don't tell anyone. They bury their feelings. They bury it all. Those kids typically will, as they get older, turn to self-destructive behaviors. Tell, these all telltale signs of sexual abuse. Cutting. Do you know about cutting yet in this country? Kids who cut, do you have this yet? I don't mean cutting glass. I mean, cutting their body. Do you know about this? Yeah, boys and girls. More girls than boys. More girls than boys. Cutting. Cutting. When I first saw cutting, cutting most... When it first started, about 15 years ago, it hit our community. But it started with cutting their clothing. And mothers called me, what is this? I found my daughter. She cut up all her clothes in the closet. They're in shreds. What is that? I had no clue. A moment had no clue. You know, slowly but surely, you begin to get a feel for what's going on. And then, I, the worst one I met, I had a girl in my seminary once, she had 170 cuts on her body. 170 cuts. Cutting is used as a way of both inflicting pain, bla- I know I'm a Russia for what I've done. I'm a Russia, I'm going to hurt myself. 
and they cut themselves to hurt themselves. But what's better about the cut, they, one kid explained to me, cutting and burning go together. They take like a cigarette. Though. I had a kid sat in front of me, look me in the eye and put a cigarette into her hand. Looking me in the eye. She stared at me while she could smell it burning. It was the most nauseating, painful experience. She burnt her hand in front of me and then said to me, you think this hurts? Living with what I live, that hurts. This doesn't hurt. Then I understood and they explained it to me. When they cut, they could go. Cutting is very painful. It's extremely painful. They take a knife. They don't cut the... um, They're not cutting to kill. They're not trying to kill themselves. They'll cut their flesh like a quarter inch into the flesh. And it hurts like hell. It's terrible. The anticipation of the act of cutting, the psychological anticipation, they can yield a week of turmoil anticipating cutting. They can get a week free of pain, of all the pain because of what happened to them. They can take that pain and completely bury that pain for a week anticipating one cut. I'm going to cut next Sunday. And the whole day, I'm, no, I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut. And they keep housing that over because it's a very horrible thing to do, a painful thing. So for a whole week, they free themselves from the internal pain of, I'm a bad, horrible, rotten person. The cut itself is not a cut. It's a very slow, lingering misa. Very slow. Pulling that knife through. Very, very slow. Through their arm. You can, you can feel the pain of it, just as I describe it. And then the healing process can be at least another week. So a kid on one cut can get two weeks painkillers. Two weeks free of psychological pain. When you see a cut on the body of a child, you know they've been sexually abused. I don't know of any other abuse they cut for. Maybe severe physical abuse. But then you would see it. You know, you'd see marks on their body. You know what I'm saying? You would see it. When, with girls, by the way, I had a girl came to me from England. She came from England. Someone sent her to consult with me. She was in. She was so shut down. She was like one of these semi-psychotic kind of things. But she was so from this kid when she came in. She was covered up to here, you know, sleeves down to here. She was covered, baggy. I saw her two times. This kid, and I knew there's no sophic. This is sexual abuse. And then I got a tip off. I must say, I did get a tip off. And the tip off was that she dis- she's staying by an uncle and aunt and she's disappearing at night time. And someone thinks they saw her dressing immodestly. That's a tip-off, so it was not, you know, I wasn't that smart. But once I heard that, I knew. This is a sexual abuse victim, and she's got a nightlife out there where she's acting out sexually somewhere. And this clothing is probably a cutter. She's probably a cutter. So I challenged her. You could ask me, La Locha, am I allowed to do these things or not? But I challenged her, and I challenged her to come in, if she wouldn't mind, and I can handle it. Why don't you come the way you dress when you go out at night? She said, how do you know I go out at night? I said, it's partial to me you go out at night. And if I'm right, then let's get honest. Let's get honest. I tell you what, I'll give you, I wrote her up a star that she can sue me if I tell her parents. She'll have to sue me. I tell her parents. I gave her a star. There's a girl then, she was probably about 17. She took the star. I didn't know if she'd do it. She came in Sunday. I remember it very clearly. She walks in. She's wearing torn jeans, a tank top. Torn jeans. She has her hair pulled back. You'd never recognize this girl in your life. Big earrings and cuts all over her body. 
all over her arms. She was an abuse victim, abused by her brother and the brother's friend. They played with her long Shabbos afternoons. She's still struggling. This one has still not come back. This is We're still working on this. It's a work in progress. I don't know if we'll get her back or not. I don't know. Because it's so, uh, we've gone on for so many years, I just don't know if we can get her back. The kids who cover up strangely, they just seem to be wearing too much clothing. Girls, it's probably they're covering something up. If it's that odd, they've probably got cuts on their body. Cutting is a typical thing the internalizers do because their pain is internal, so they shut down, self-medicating. Now, drugs, obviously, cutting and burning go together. Drug use, self-destructive behaviors, dangerous self-destructive behaviors, but all private. They won't be public, you won't know about it. But they'll do crazy, crazy things. Dangerous, putting their life... They'll walk down a highway the wrong way, a motorway the wrong way late at night. They'll just walk down the middle of the motorway the wrong way late at night and they, their attitude is if God takes me take me I deserve it and if not I got this thrill and the thrill and the memory of the thrill covers up my pain so kids like do this do a tremendous numbers of crazy bizarre dangerous things that no one can understand I had a kid jumped off out of a bedroom window a second floor in a bedroom window she would jump out the window into the bushes and that was her attitude if I get killed I deserve it and if not, the excitement of the jumping out helped her with her pain, and getting hurt also helped her too. So when you hear those kind of things, you know you're dealing with sexual abuse. We go to the Shirish. We don't give them a musadrashla about don't do that. Do you know what I'm saying? It takes us to the Shirish. For girls, one of the most typical internalizing behaviors is dressing like a boy. They'll wear a hoodie they'll wear jeans or you know they'll close up you, you see them they go off the derech they immediately change their dress but they look like a boy what they're really doing is denying their femininity and many 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 girls who've come to me for treatment and what they've done is they want to deny they're a girl they don't want to be abused again so they'll make sure I've had many girls who put on weight tremendously as a way to try and deny that man's gonna you know, my brother's gonna come after me. They 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 put put for his clothing on. They wanna look ugly. They want to defeminize in the hope that they won't be a target anymore. Classic, classic science sexual abuse. That's the internalizers where they take their pain internal. And unfortunately, in the treatment, you have to externalize it to get them healthy. And the externalizing process with rage and anger and acting out, you have to pull it out of them. There's no simple way. And it's a really hard treatment. Really hard treatment. They're going to go nuts in their treatment process because they've got to act out their rage they're furious their life's wrecked the, that's the internalizers the externalizers are more typical you'll find a girl who will go and become promiscuous she'll be you know with every guy she'll be sleeping with guys she'll be running around fooling around with guys what's Pshat with her? the Pshat is that she wants to deal with what happened to her and the way she deals with it is by saying nothing bad happened to me 
I'm not a bad person, nor did anything bad happen. It was fun. I was having a good time. And the way I proved that is going and doing it left, right, and center. She'll obsessively and compulsively act out to minimize what happened to her and to normalize it. Of course, she doesn't know that she's doing it for that. When we help her see that, there's another layer of trauma where she realizes what she's done as well to try and help herself. That itself becomes traumatic when she chaps. That's what they made me do. Like the boys who now realize this was taken from me. Her sneers, her everything was taken from her as a reaction to what she did. And that she falls apart and blames the world and wants to kill herself. And you have to go through that to treat her which is so impossible and difficult and challenging. So, promiscuous behavior with a girl, for sure, has to go together with drug use. And what most people don't realize is that most boys start doing drugs because they've got a relationship with a girl. The boys who get into drugs will very often enter drugs because the girlfriend they have, or they're hanging with, does drugs. And they've got to do drugs to hang with her. She's doing drugs because of what happened to her, because she can't deal with her feelings. And many of the boys enter into the sugar drugs because otherwise you can't have access to this club and be part of it unless you do drugs with them. It's really incredible when you break it. See, when you reveal all this to them, I do this with them sometimes, even in groups sometimes, and the pain that comes up in these poor kids, you, 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 can't, you can't imagine. They're good kids inside who didn't realize what happened to them. And when you explain it all, they're all sitting there weeping away. They're all sitting there weeping away. You actually see the old kid, the, the, the tenderness, the softness. You see the Nishama Tahira that was once in there. You actually get to see it when you help them see, with no judgment, their picture, their pasha. As they understand it themselves, they start healing, and, you, and the person can emerge and start taking control. But the, you have to do it in a totally non-judgmental way. You know, yeah, imagine what their experience usually is, is the community, parents, teachers, everyone mussering them out for their behavior and trying to convince them why they shouldn't be doing it. That is what they've all experienced. That's why another reason they go off the derrick. Because that, what we don't provide them with is any safety because we didn't hop what was going on. See, once you hop all this, I have some people in Lakewood today. I mean, I'm talking about real Toyotic authority figures who get this and have worked this through, and they're part of the healing. They're crucial. Mashkiach helped me for years with the healing because if I take a kid into him and he understands this that we're talking about, if I took a kid to any of you, and the kid sees you, identifies you as like a Khashiva Mechana. You know, their mind, you're like, you know, sort of spiritual material. You're like an authority figure, right? In their mind. The, actually, the whiter the beard, the more Khashiva you are, the more helpful in treatment, because they can't believe it's possible that someone's going to understand me. And when you do, it takes off so much of the pain because what you're essentially saying is you are part of us and your trauma makes sense and your behavior is not going to muster you. You're a chayla. What are you talking about? We understand what happened here. You have no clue how healing that is. I mean, you have a clue. Forgive me. I imagine you can understand. That's the healing. It's, I never do healing with any sexual abuse kid in our community unless I have a Rav or a Chashva Rebetzin on my side who's going to be there with me and know all the facts, the whole story. They have to know the whole Pasha. 
the kids don't believe me at first. I said, we're going in, who's, you know, and we find someone, we're going to, we're not going to talk to the town government. And I said, we're going to tell them, they're going to handle it. Oh, they can't, someone. And they understand. And eventually, it takes a while, I talk them into it, and we go in, and they let me, because they can't say it. And I say the whole story, the whole thing, every detail of what they're up to and what they do. And if it's a boy, if it's a Rob sitting there and he starts crying, and he has, or a, and you start crying in pain, you know, oh, you cannot imagine the healing you just shaft. You can't imagine. The healing is, 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 is unbelievable what started happening. It's profound. But you can't get there for Shtetzach unless you understand the sugya and what they've done, and then it all makes sense. So then you can be in such a place. What they usually get is layers and layers of criticism, attempts to stop them, threats, drushes. You know, great drushes about why it's inappropriate. You know, what's wrong with the behavior. And it's all mazik. It's all mazik. They already knew. They know. What they realize is we don't have a clue about them, about what's really going on. And sometimes they don't even know themselves. I'll come to that in a minute. So externalizes promiscuous behavior is almost always a way of trying to deal with their pain, to normalize it. Preoccupation with sex, risk-taking, antisocial behavior, aggression, etc. These are all external ways that they act out, and they're always synonym and signs of this deep-rooted pain. And if we can reach the pain, if we can just get to their pain, I always tell the kids when they come in with drugs, unless they're doing certain types, and it's not about drugs today, but if they're doing certain drugs, that I know they have to go to rehab. I say, listen, I care about you too much. I'm not doing this session. You're going to rehab now. And I'm not letting out my door. I call their parents and I have them taken to rehab. Do you know that no one ever ran out and stopped me? It's an unbelievable thing. I know I don't hold on to them. I tell them, you sit right there. You're going to rehab now because you may die. What you're doing, what you're taking is life-threatening. And no, I care about you too much to let you die. I'm sorry. I'd rather you be angry with me for the rest of your life and alive. I never had a kid that bolted. Some believe, you know what they do usually? They fall on the floor and start crying and crying while I call their parents to come pick them up and take them to rehab. I call the rehab, this kid's on the way, and I ship them off to rehab with, with certain types of drugs. <laughs> when they're doing the kind of drugs that I know they're not going to kill themselves. And there's a, a skin, this is not for tonight. But when they're doing the drugs, where well, I know they're not going to die, they're really self-medicating. I call it what it is, you know, self-medicating. And I tell them, I'm not interested in talking to you about your drugs. I'm not going to do it. They say, really? Because they've been sent to everyone, and they think they're being sent to the, like, the maestro who's going to talk them out of it. And I say, I'm not interested. Maestro in England, to say that word? Good, okay. They think, right? And, and I'm not going to do it. I will not do it. Actually, what I tell them is, I'm not interested about your drugs. You do drugs because you hurt I want to talk to you about your hurt. I want to talk about your pain. Because if we can get to your pain and turn it off, you won't do drugs. And the kids start crying, and they say to me, you're the first person who ever said that. Why doesn't anyone else understand this? And I say, I'm irrelevant to me. Listen, I tell them, I'm warning you. If I find out you're doing, and I mention certain, like crack cocaine, certain drugs, you know, that you could die from, I'm going to ship you off to rehab because I care about you. And they say, yeah, they understand. It's like Peladic. They understand that. But if you're doing what you're doing, and by the way, I tell them, if I think you're lying to me, which you are, 
And they say, how do you know? I say, I know. Come on, we'll talk about it. Anyway, I'll deal about lying later. They all lie. We'll deal with that later. But if they're lying and I catch them, I'll ship you off too. But if I believe that you're not, then we're going to talk about your pain and your hurt. And you will stop doing the drug when you stop hurting. And they know it's true. And by the way, Rove, Rubam of all our children in our community stop doing the drug when they stop hurting. They grow out of it. They do not need rehab. They don't need the whole detox thing. Most of them don't need it. And I have fight wars, and I've been very severely censured by colleagues of mine who, especially in the drug and alcohol field, who just want them in rehab, whatever. And I say, when they belong in a rehab, by the way, detox and rehab, two different things. Detox is 30 days, get clean of the drugs. And what do you do after this? Go straight back to the drug. Rehab can be a year or two. It can be a long time. For a kid that needs it, I'm straight with them. You need it, buddy. That you're never going to get better. I'm so sorry, but that's the facts. You will not, you're an addict. You're not going to get better. You've got to call it, you've got to own it, you've got to deal with it. I'll come visit you. But they're not going to collude with this. When they belong there, they belong there. Most of them don't. Especially if we get them early enough and we actually talk about their pain and heal the pain so they don't get there. Anyway, repetition. D. This is about, you know, these next two things are just awful. I do not believe the time. Well, okay. Harvesting. Well, this is another Kiddush of mine. You won't find this in any of the literature. If you do, please tell me. I don't believe it exists anywhere. Harvesting is the act of gathering stimulatory material through tactile or visual input for recall at a later time to aid in self-sexual stimulation. Harvesting is what most of what goes on with our little kids that introduces them, the boys, into bushes, not with girls. It's not about harvesting because they are used. They're used for the, for the stimulation. The boy will arouse himself <coughs> physically on her. And we might say zero on her. So in the case of the boys, that's not the case. What will happen is a, a typical harvesting, a classic harvesting, and it ruins a life. Classic harvesting is where a kid will shove a kid into a bathroom stall. Older boy, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, will shove a kid into a bathroom stall, younger one, 5, 6, or 7, pull down his trousers and his underpants, play with his private parts, or pull his own pants and trousers down and get the kid to play with him or touch him with his mouth or whatever get what he's doing he's not going to arouse himself there and then he'll then chuck the kid out but that experience is now locked in here and he plays that video in his head of that experience later on when he arouses himself that's harvesting He's gathering information. He can't, a little kid can't walk into a store and get a pornographic video or a magazine. So where does he get the stimulatory material he needs for this act? 